Support comes from Pier 1 Theatre, celebrating 50 years of creating community theatre, supporting community voices, and sharing the performing arts. Schedules and information on Pier 1 Productions at 907-226-2287 and pier1theatre.org. My name is Mercedes. I know a lot of you. I grew up around a lot of you, and I am here tonight just like one of you, a person who is concerned about our community and wanting to be engaged in how our community develops. Guiding growth was the, um, the brainchild of Penelope, and I got an email from Rika Mao last February, March, telling me about this group and asking if I would be involved. And the idea behind it was that there are many things pressurizing um, our community right now. And there is lots of different ways the uh, next few years could unfold. And how could we have a voice as a community going forward? What am I missing? I just want to thank everyone for coming. Um, and I'm really looking forward to an ongoing conversation. Um, I think that, yeah, our mission, we spent an agonizing number of meetings, really <laughs> contemplating what this, the mission of this group was going to be. Um, and who was contemplating it is just sort of an ad hoc group of, of folks who took an interest in, in the direction of Homer and who plan to stay here and think maybe their kids are gonna stay here and so on. And the mission that we came up with was is to develop a toolbox for guiding growth in Homer. And that, that idea really came from the fact that I think so many of us have been part of conversations looking at the changes and experiencing the changes that are happening and not really having a sense of what, if anything, we could do to help shape what is happening around us. People feel kind of passive, like, oh, things are happening to me or to us, but um, a sense that there could be something we could do, but not really a sense of what that is um, or what those things, what choices are available to us. and so. Um, this was our first, this was an event that we decided to do, I guess our second event. Um, and I think the, the notion here is that if we're going to engage and help, try to help interact with the growth that's happening here, probably really important first step is to kind of understand what are some of the forces that are, are driving uh, the changes. So that's why we're here at this event right now. So kind of the tagline to our mission is through civic discourse, good conversation, and relevant resources, the group's purpose is to empower participation in the vision of how the Homer community develops. So our first uh, event was about looking backward um, before moving forward with Tom Keziah. This event is really about getting a better handle of what um, is happening to our community. And really, there are about, I don't know, 20 conversations packed into this one conversation tonight. I'm not sure how far we will get, um, but hopefully this will prompt many, many more discussions. Next, after this event, our next event will be a two-day workshop with Alaska Humanities Forum called Conversations That Build Community, and it's a skill-building workshop on how to have depolarizing conversations, and we're working really hard to attract 20 people that have diverse opinions and values and bring them together, and I swear the building won't burn down. And um, because we need practice, we need practice before we're in the heat of the moment um, at community meetings or at the grocery store. 
and we need to get to know each other as neighbors again. I have many, many thank yous before I pass the evening over to Jane. First, to the library. This is um, not a library-sponsored event. However, they are supporting us as a user group, and I'm very appreciative, especially of Kevin, who helped so much with the sound tonight. <laughs> I'm, um, KBBI um, came by this morning to set up some recording equipment so that this conversation will be preserved and we will be able to reference it. Um, and also, people um, are giving us resources, which we will be putting on the website. Um, Dorotha has uh, facts and figures she'll be talking about, Sarah Richardson does, and eventually you will be able to reach those at our website. We'd like to thank the Homer Foundation. They are helping sponsor the Alaska Humanities Workshop in November. So. I'll just flag, there's flyers there if you're interested in the Alaska Humanities Forum uh, event. You can grab one on your way out so you can just remember and learn more with the website. And it is the November 10th and 11th, all day, both days, but we're seating you. We'll give you nice lunches. And That's a Saturday and a Sunday no, at the. No, it's oh, a Friday and a Saturday. Oh, sorry, it's a Friday and a Saturday at the college. Um, and also, we, as Mercedes mentioned, this is one, two, three, four, five, six converse, six like worlds packed into one. We're opening up a can of worms and we invite everyone to join us at Alice's afterward to frolic in all the ideas. Right, thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Jane. I am born and raised here in Homer. I left for a little while, but now I am back to plant my roots and make my life here. So I'm really excited to be here with you all um, and kind of dive into these topics. I have a little bit of structure for you for the night. We are gonna dive into conversation with our lovely panelists and provide a lot of conversation between them for a while. And then we will have a good chunk of time at the end of the event for your questions. So. Stay engaged, keep your questions, and we will definitely have a time to get to them. If not here, then potentially at Alice's later. Um, and before we get going, I do have a little bit of grounding for us all um, in tonight's event. So I have a couple acknowledgments. I want to start off with a land acknowledgment. We recognize that we live and work in the unceded territories of the Alutic, Sukiak, and Dana'ina. We acknowledge the sustainable culture, land stewardship, and place-based knowledge of them in ancestral, present, and future time. We also are grateful for elders past and present and future, and we are grateful for the chance to be here and to work together for the racial equality and these lands that we live on. I also wanna take a moment to acknowledge our community. Um, I'd like to thank you all again for coming. The work that we're doing here today to build a healthy and engaged community would not be possible without the effort of all of those who have done the work before us. So thank you for showing up and continuing to do so. We are gonna start with introductions. Hi, I'm uh, Sarah Richardson. I'm an associate broker at Story Real Estate down here in Homer. So our offices are on the corner of the highway and West Hill. Um, I've lived in Homer for about 15 years. Um, my husband is a dentist. We've got a practice on um, Pioneer. We took a year off, I think, and went and moved to New Zealand, but we decided there was no place like Homer, so we moved back. 
we've got two kids in school. One's a freshman in high school, and one's just finishing off West Homer Elementary. So we've got kids in school. We've got that grounding in the community. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Katie Gavanis. I grew up here in Homer. Um, my parents are Paul Gavanis and Ginny Espenshade. They moved here in 1982 and then left for a year and a half and then came back again. Um, and they've been here ever since. Um, they moved from the East Coast, um, so family in Pennsylvania and North Carolina is kind of where those roots go back to and then to Europe from there. Um, my partner and stepdaughter just moved here from Washington State, so I'm not only daughter to Paul and Ginny, but I am also um, wife, I was going to say husband, but I'm wife to Nathan Maine and uh, stepmom to Johanna Maine, who's 11. Um, and then my sister Erica Gavanis grew up here as well, and I'm going to be an aunt soon, which is pretty cool on the family side of things. Um, I work for the Center for Alaskan Coastal Studies and have um, for almost half of my life now, actually, off and on. I think I started as an intern there in the summer of 2006. Um, and I was born in 1986, so we're getting awfully close to half my life. Um, and I'm also a board member with the Kachemak Bay Conservation Society. Um, so I come to you with many, many hats, um, but I think um, the overarching experience that I bring is just of someone who loves this place deeply and has been shaped by this place, as many of us have, and, um, and is thinking about how to continue to be shaped by this place and how we can continue to have community here in a way that is held um, by Kachemak Bay and by the lands and waters here, because that has been the story here for thousands and thousands of years, and I'm very lucky to have been born into a tiny piece of that story, but I feel a lot of responsibility as well for how I can help to make that story continue into the future. My name is Julie Engerbretson. I've lived in the Anchor Point area since about 1999, and I've worked for the city of Homer since 2002, so over 20 years. I've generally worked in the planning and zoning department, so I've been watching subdivisions and developments and housing and commercial buildings being constructed, and I'm currently the economic development manager. I work a little bit with the Chamber of Commerce um, is in my city role. I have kids that go to Chapman School, ages seven and 12. Um, highly exciting times. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I consider myself an economic geographer, so I'm interested in people and place, and I'm interested in how economies flow, money flowing through the community, and I tend to use economics as my way of communicating to people universally, because um, most people don't argue about money. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming out here tonight. Um, my name is Brad Anderson. I'm the executive director over at the Homer Chamber of Commerce and Visitor Center. Uh, I came up here in um, May of 2018 um, I originally found this place in 2015, came up here, had a week opportunity to spend uh, July and uh, see what this was all about and just had an incredible time. My, my two oldest kids, my daughters are with me, and we all came back from that like, this is a really special place. So after a few years, uh, we figured out our path to get up here, so we're all up here now, but they're both uh, up here settled in with families. My mother-in-law just moved in here, so we've kind of had a little extended family joining in. So Homer is very much a part of our life. Uh, at the chamber, we represent about 450 uh, local businesses. So we have a very high percentage of, of our local businesses that are part of our chamber. 
and and I'll get into part of my in my presentation tonight will be kind of from that lens of both someone who discovered this place, fell in love with it, and decided wanted to make it her home, and also from the fact we're dealing with such a strong business community that has a lot of needs and such a variety of interests that um, they're looking at, and everyone looks at change from a different angle. So we'll try to address all those different pieces and. I look forward to this conversation at any time you ever want to come by the chamber and, and talk and share what's going on. We're more than welcome to talk to you. Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Lots of friends out there tonight. Hi, Deborah. <laughs> so I'm Dorotha Ferrero. I'm the Director of Marketing and Public Relations at South Peninsula Hospital. I take a moment to say that your hospital, borough-owned facility, it's operated and managed by a local nonprofit with a local board of directors. I have been at the hospital 15 years, and um, in my role there, I am responsible for the foundation, the auxiliary, the volunteers, the communications, the marketing, the PR, um, even occasional grant writing. So um, I serve on the MAP, Local Health Coalition um, Steering Committee, on the Homeless Connect Planning Committee, on numerous other community networks and um, organizations. Through MAP, we just completed the community health needs assessment, and tomorrow morning at the college at 9, we will be reviewing the findings from that assessment and getting community input on the priorities for what we want to work on as a community for our health improvement plan. So all of that work means that I am familiar with the demographic makeup of the service area. The service area for the hospital goes the whole way up to Nanilchik, to the head of the bay, across the bay. And um, I'm familiar with the overall health needs of the service area. And um, beyond that, I've lived in Homer for 30 years. Oh, I forgot to say I've been at the hospital for 15 years last month. That was my anniversary. But I've been in Homer for 30 years this summer. And uh, my husband and I raised our daughter here. And I was formerly the director of the Homer Chamber of Commerce for 13 years. So um, that's my introduction. Thank you all. We are just going to dive right in, um, kind of to the meat and potatoes of our discussion today. So the first question that I have for you all is, what do you see driving change in the community? It occurred to me while we were talking that we don't really have anyone from the sort of education or school perspective here. Um, and so I guess maybe that is a question if anyone can speak to, like I think of the hospital and the growth at the hospital and also the staffing shortages that you're experiencing. And I think, you know, when you were talking about like, you know, at Chapman, nine to 12 years old, and I was like, oh, I wonder who the teachers are out there. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if they have enough teachers out there. I wonder if they have enough aides out there. And my brain started rolling around like, that also seems like a big, question when we think about growth and when we think about um, being able to support young families in this community of like, do we have enough teachers and are our teachers happy and are our teacher, like our support staff sufficient and are they happy? Um, and if anyone has any information on that, um, I yield the mic and if not, I guess I just say we should think about that. And childcare too. Oh, I have so much to say. Um, so I'm active as a parent at the Chapman School. Um, probably more interestingly, I was part of a cohort of economic development professionals across the state. We spent the last year meeting every two weeks for half a day talking and learning about um, 
not so much state politics, but like how education is funded and how we pay for our roads and our public health system, lots and lots of discussion of public health. Um, and some of the things that are driving change in our state is sort of fiscal instability. So we were built on oil and expecting revenue from that. And so we have all these buildings like the Homer High School mm -hmm. and things that you know, are built that don't have necessarily a really strong tax base to support them. And then some interesting policies and regulations about how you fund schools. But the end result is the results are poor. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's expensive, but we feel like, you know, can we get adequate road maintenance? Can, you know, is the state doing its job to take care of, you know, social services and, and all of those kinds of things? And the answer is we are not looking so good. Um, and that is one of the things that's driving change, you know, not having you know, a pension system for our teachers. They don't pay into Social Security. I mean, there's a whole host of disincentives to joining many occupations, and that affects the quality of your state workers and anyone who works in local government. It's, it's a major, I think we're the only state that doesn't offer a teacher's pension. That's nuts. I just quickly ran mortgage numbers. So for uh, your average house price of 479, um, interest rates right now 8.925, which is common for somebody with about a 700 credit score. Um, you're looking at a $3,600 a month mortgage payment. Like I, I don't know a teacher that that can afford that, frankly. So part of one of the uh, continue on about what's driving kind of change in the community, but you know the lens that um, I look at things mainly you know, every day is you know both from the business standpoint and from the tourism standpoint. And, um, you know, but what we see here a lot for us, is, especially from the business standpoint, is our, is our workforce and how that's changing and how that's limiting so much of our business's ability to grow and service the overall needs of, of our community, you know, those that live here, and then also that people come up and want to enjoy that uh, phenomenal summer, summer experience here, but, you know, find places closed at uh, different hours and just shifting. So um, some of the things that are changing that is, you know, our Alaska's unemployment rate in August, uh, this past August, was 3.9%. That was the lowest that's been ever recorded up here. Uh, added to that since uh, 2012, Alaska's seen an overall net migration, this was mentioned earlier, um, from Alaska. Fortunately, that has slowed considerably after 2020 um, but um, yeah, but we started seeing a strong recovery after that. But yeah, so we're continuing to see more people leave Alaska than coming back in. Uh, Alaska is losing population, especially among its younger age groups, uh, while those 54 and above have increased 27.7%, a little bit of what you're talking about, the whole um, silver tsunami. Um, but what's interesting, those the younger uh, folks, and this is a change from 2012 to 22, uh, under 18, it shrank by 4.1 percent. 18 to 24 shrank by 16.8 percent, and 25 to 54 shrank by 5.7 percent. So all those key uh, folks that are part of our normal workforce, you know, so they're leaving, and so they're not there. And the people that are moving in are the ones that are demanding more services, and so it's just kind of an inverted uh, situation. Um, other got a national and local factors that are contributing to that workforce shortage. Um, those include early retirement. We've got more people who are choosing to retire earlier and start enjoying uh, those times. Uh, decline in immigration and guest worker visas. Um, lack of childcare, which we've kind of talked about. That's been, you know, 
workforce, housing, and childcare. We've just heard time and time again are the two biggest factors impacting our, our business growth, business side. Um, supply of affordable housing. So Alaska is 28% higher than the national average on that. And then I think that's Alaska in general, but then you bring it down to where we live down here, you can add a, above that. And just overall, the cost of living is 28% higher. So again, trying to attract a worker force to come up here when they're seeing or dealing with all those costs of living and that pushes wages up and wages have gone, been pushed up to try to find who's available, but still not to the point that you can find based off of some of the average um, housing prices here that can be a normal starting wage or um, kind of lower level wage in the service sector. Um, so we're dealing with the demand for workers that's ever increasing while the availability of our workforce is shrinking. Um, from the tourism side of things here, uh, we continue to see that bringing a strong economic drive for Homer. And we have hundreds of thousands of people that come up here every year to visit Homer, because uh, that's part of their bucket list to visit the last frontier. So from uh, March 1st of this year to the end of August, we saw about 300,000 visitors that came down to Homer. Um, so some of those are from other parts of Alaska and other came from out of state. So again, what I experienced and so many people experience when you come down here and see this amazing place, everything has to offer. It's just when you go back home, you start wondering, God, where would I rather be? And so even with, with the town of our size, even if a small fraction of those visitors become interested in moving down here, it starts putting a pretty major strain in our economy and with everything else that we're dealing with. So add a little more insight to that. So I, for our next question, I have two questions for you all. Um, and feel free to pick to respond to one rather than the other, kind of whatever one speaks to you. So I'll read them both um, and then we can kind of jump in. So the first question is, what is the uh, carrying or caring capacity from your perspective? Um, or to what extent do you see trends in Homer as connected to the larger or statewide uh, trends, national, et cetera? Is anybody, everybody's writing furiously. Anybody want to jump in? Sorry, I can jump in on housing. Um, yeah, housing. <laughs> um, I wasn't in Homer the last time in 2008. I think I was just coming in here the last time we had that big housing recession. And it seemed that Homer itself, just listening to the realtors in my community and listening to people talk about it, was fairly insulated from that. And I see this happening again. We're seeing a lot of people talking about, um, you know, talking about recession and slowdowns in housing and things like that. And I'm just not seeing it here. I mean, I do see a slight softening due to the interest rates. It's not that big boom of, of that nice 3% interest rates we have, but things are still moving. People are still coming. Um, Homer's housing market is still quite strong. Y'all wanna just go down the line? Okay. Uh, this is going to be like a skip to a very different response to that answer. Um, but before I do that, um, I think also, yeah, as someone who just like moved moved out of my parents' house at 36 and 362 days, um, yeah, <laughs> um, and only moved into a rental situation, yeah. I have a stat for you. Yeah, go for it. I have a stat for you. Um, there was an article um, that was released the other day that said, what was it, half of 20-something kids 
live with their parents. So it's not just you. They still live with their parents. Think about how many 30-somethings. <laughs> it's still pretty high. It's still pretty high. But it was a 20-something that caught me because my husband and I are looking at buying a bigger house because our kids are getting bigger and we're not small people and our house is small and our kids don't want to move. And I said, I don't think they quite understand the economics of the whole thing. They're going to be with us for a lot longer than we were with our parents. That's just the economic reality of the whole thing. And so that what you said there and then just my experience of like the people that we're renting from are actually people that my parents rented from when I was 10 years old. Um, there's a, some land that we're looking at that we were connected to through family friends and I think about as someone who grew up here and has roots in this community how hard it has been but I've had the safety net of my parents and then I've had like knowing that eventually and I like keep saying it at like panels and stuff, and eventually someone's gonna sell me a house for cheap is my goal. Um, but you know, like those connections exist, and it makes it possible um, to live in this community because I have those connections. But I look out and I look at people who I think are amazing and who have moved into Homer and who are about my age, and I wonder like, how are they making it happen? Because it seems pretty impossible, um, and that makes me pretty sad and so that's not my area of expertise but it is something that I think about is I do, I do think that there are brilliant, amazing, talented, committed, caring people in their 20s and 30s that would love to be here and would be really, really good for our community um, and it's really hard for them um, and it's really hard for their kids um, and so that is something, I think we're all talking about it but I think we need to be talking about it more. Um, the other thing that I see as um, kind of connecting to our carrying capacity and also just sort of the larger picture is that so many of the decisions and conversations that happen in Homer stop at the city limits or they stop at Diamond Ridge and Fritz Creek, but the impacts of growth and change here ripple out much, much farther than that. And so I think about recently, you know, the borough is looking at this um, sort of regulation around gravel pits. And so much of the reporting and the conversation around that is from an economic focus or the, the impacts on the neighbors of the gravel pit. And those are both really important parts of that conversation. But if, you know, 56% of us say that the biggest strength of our community is natural beauty, and if, you know, I don't have a number for this, but let's just say if 50% of us value healthy salmon and value clean water, there's a bigger conversation that needs to be happening about what is the impact of development here in Homer and utilizing gravel from up in Anchor Point? Like, how is that impacting the Anchor River watershed? How is that impacting Cook Inlet? How is that impacting moose and salmon and people's connection to this place? Um, that we need to be thinking about when we think about the growth that's happening in our community. Another example of that is, you know, conversations around increased charter fishing and sport fishing. So much of that conversation is around like limited parking at the spit, or does our port and harbor need to expand? And those are important questions to be asking, but we also need to be asking, where are those people fishing? And, you know, if you talk to some of our neighbors across the bay, they're fishing in their backyards. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but it does mean that we should be involving our neighbors in these conversations too around the, gro the growth that happens in Homer is a big driver of change 
outside of Homer on the Southern Kenai Peninsula. And I think we have a responsibility to be looking at that bigger picture um, from an ecosystem and environment lens, but I think across all of these different sectors that we sort of represent, whether it be health or um, economics or you know city governance or real estate, like we can, what's happening is Homer is important, um, and we need to be inviting others in to tell us what what we are missing because I think we're missing a lot, and we're because we're focused on either us as individuals or at best as a Homer community, and we need to we need to look at the circles beyond that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, to what extent the Homer trends um, kind of reflect national trends and what does that mean for us. Um, so statewide trends, and we've talked about we're an aging population more than other places. That means it's more important to recruit and retrain, retain our younger workers, child care, after school care, housing. And it filters into small businesses because as, you know, especially the baby boom generation has worked, you know, lifelong in these small businesses that are really important to the Homer economy, right? As they're looking to retire, they're hoping that someone will come and buy their business. I was at the Kenai Peninsula Economic Development District uh, Industry Outlook Forum probably two years ago. And uh, the Alaska Small Business Development Center said there's something like 15 million small businesses for sale across the country, or that's what's coming over the next 10 years. There's lots of opportunities for someone with a little bit of capital, willing to put in a lot of work to be a small business owner. And so if you can buy a, some type of business across the country, where do you want to be and what are you looking for? And we want to you know, attract those people here so you can sell your business and your business can continue to be part of our, our local eco economy and, and ecosystem that we have. And so that was just a bigger trend out there that I, wasn't, I hadn't thought about, that there are so many opportunities for people looking to be entrepreneurs that we're actually having to compete in some ways in that market. So I'm also going to um, address a little bit about um, you know, how Homer is connected to the larger statewide and national trends. So understandably, um, people, when change happens, it's something that's uncomfortable, but change is, is inevitable, and a healthy community must have growth. Um, we've seen a lot of new small communities around the country that have you know, failed because they didn't plan for growth and, um, and didn't plan for what happens when critical sectors of their economy suddenly change. So communities with the vision for the future are always more successful than communities that accept just what comes along. So fortunately, what I see happening in, in Homer is an effort to diversify our economy with more year-round jobs and industries that are not quite as vulnerable to some of the economic trends. Um, the Homer Marine Trades uh, is an area I kind of spend a lot of time trying to get uh, more knowledgeable about and what the opportunities are there. And that's a great example of, of what I was just talking about, the opportunities that can create. So we've already seen immediate uh, response to the expansions that have happened uh, from the marine services when those businesses already increased their, their opportunities. Um, there's quite a pent-up demand for those services and the related jobs pay very well. So young people uh, can get into those jobs that will provide a higher than average incomes. And they can also get into those careers without overwhelming debt that usually comes by having to go through uh, funding a school and taking out loans for schooling and then come back and try to hopefully find a job. The new federal and state investments and our expanding opportunities in the aquaculture industry is also creating some new opportunities and businesses. And those the business that are already in those industries, um, that's a new resource we have to try to help expand and provide resources to make that a, 
a more year-round and stable part of our economic opportunity. But also through that investment, they're expanding some of the markets that we can ship out to and uh, create some new platforms for that. Um, other key factors I see is um, people are, are coming here because they're looking for that calmer, safer community where families have a better quality of life. So up here, we've improved our broadband services a little bit more, so it's created out and, and the techno technological innovations have allowed workers to live wherever they want and staying with the company that they enjoy. So that remote working piece has really driven quite a few people up here as well because technology has made that available. Um, but the one piece I really have to go back to is um, just how much the housing situation is impacting some of these changing factors and our ability, and our ability to deal with some of the changes we're experiencing. So um, we do live in an area that's naturally expensive um, to build due to our location, both at the end of the road and also in Alaska. And that, as you guys know, that adds costs everything we do. So uh, affordable starter housing means usually higher density and uh, areas, now the areas where we currently have infrastructure to support higher density housing um, are experiencing pushback and, um, and it's very expensive to extend infrastructure out to support those. So, and we also don't wanna see high density appear next to where you're currently living. So that whole dilemma of trying to figure out how to deal with high density is just uh, an issue that there's no easy answers for. Um, but there's a lot of discussions happening. The people are recognizing it, and that's admittedly that, you know, we're changing. We're going to have to deal with that in some way. So forums like this, I think, play a really important role to try to get the communication out, what's driving change, and how we're going to deal with it. So, um, yeah, but in order to provide a, a healthy job environment up here, um, we, we must provide growth in order to create the amenities and opportunities that improve and help benefit the quality of life that we have to be here in this beautiful town. Thank you, Brad. So the question being carrying capacity and trends as compared to the nation. So I just pulled some hopefully interesting health industry facts for that. So we'll start with physicians in general. So nationwide, Currently, 74% of all physicians work for a corporation, a hospital, a private um, entity. They, they work for somebody, 74%. Whereas 20 years ago, it was the exact opposite. 74% were completely independent private providers. And so that flip has happened pretty quickly. Um, for a variety of reasons, but leads us to the next, which is now physicians are seeking the um, not have to be tied to a particular town. The olden days, you got out of school, your residency, and then you started your practice, and you incurred all of the expense of starting that practice, buying the equipment, hiring the helpers, paying the malpractice insurance. like. It was major, major business entity by being an independent um, practitioner. So now the flip is that the organization, the person employing you, handles all of that. And the provider simply takes a salary to do what they were um, trained to do. A much uh, far less risk, um, far better lifestyle, um, and very, very, very attractive now. So. 
what used to be a theme in nursing, travel around, be a nurse here and there. Now that's what physicians are doing. So what, that's one problem with um, provider stability is just that lifestyle. The second is shortage. So there's just a shortage of doctors nationwide. And one study predicts that the shortage um, over the next 10 years will be as high as 55,000 doctors nationwide that we're going to lose and not replace and because of a, gro a, a growing population not have enough. So there will be a shortage of that. So if you compare that, if you look currently, there were only five, so since 2019, only five states in the United States gained doctors. And three of them only gained by 1%. So that can be within the like margin of error. And the rest all lost. Alaska lost 8% of their doctors. So what does that mean now? What will we do? Um, we'll start relying on mid-levels, nurse practitioners. Nurse practitioners have the same um, um, scope of practice. They just don't have to pay quite as much for the education, and they don't have to put quite as many years in, but they can be as qualified um, as a, as a um, medical doctor. Right now, nurse practitioners are the fastest growing profession in the nation. Not just the fastest growing healthcare, the fastest growing profession in the nation is nurse practitioner. But it's still gonna take a while for that growth of um, people in training to then get out and um, get into the into the workforce. So that's just a look at like caring capacity. What we're looking at personally, I experience family members on the East Coast that you just can't even find a doctor. It's not about oh I have to wait two months to get in. It's no I've called three clinics within a 45 mile area. And nobody will call me back, or they're saying they're not taking any new patients. So um, Southern Peninsula, at least, is blessed with a lot of primary care providers that are really committed to the community. And everybody can get in. There's, yes, there are delays. And I'm not speaking just for uh, hospital clinics, but in general, everybody can go in, get in. There certainly can be delays, but at least we right now are um, meeting that need. So I know the next question is we get to talk back and forth. Is that right? I just wanted to follow up on something that Katie said um, a little earlier, and then you repeat it again. And I, and I don't have all the right words to connect to those dots. But something that we heard in the community health needs assessment, the survey she was talking about where the people said natural beauty. So that survey was 1,020 people took that survey. Um, and there was a piece of it that um, asked some pretty personal questions um, specific to the pandemic. And um, we got a lot of stories. We got hundreds of stories about one of the big impacts of that pandemic was um, um, just not being connected. Loneliness, um, the, the, what that did to everybody. And that combined with a growing um, community, is it is creating awkward spots for new people on how do they connect when they get here? Like, how do they make friends and where do they meet people, especially if they're um, not in a 
not fortunate enough to work at a hospital where you got lots of coworkers, where you're immediately going to meet people. And we really heard that in that survey that people just really are having a hard time getting connected. So I think that is a symptom of a growing community that, that those um, avenues become more difficult to find because there's just, yeah, so many people. I find that when I sell new people a house and they move in, I will not let them sort of leave my practice until I've made each of them two connections in the community. So I've got a couple that just moved in from Florida into Old Town. Um, I've got her, she speaks Japanese. I've got her hooked up with Meg Beams, who's teaching Japanese at West Homer. They're into pickleball. I've hooked them into the pickleball community. <laughs> I, I do this for every single person because, I mean, I grew up as, I'm Canadian, I grew up as a child of an RCMP officer, and we moved every three to five years. So I understand how lonely it can be to show up in a community all by yourself. So that's something that I've given to my colleagues at Story Real Estate to say, don't let these people leave your practice without at least two, three connections, something in the community. Just help them, help them get settled. Yeah, I mean, part of, we've heard that story quite a bit of people trying to settle in and, and trying to get the community together. At the chamber, it's kind of one of the reasons we're starting to come up and create some new different type of events and activities that we can bring the community together and, and come out and enjoy, you know, being this strong, strong community. So for example, we have a fall fest coming up um, that's uh, October 28th and really geared towards kids and um, some activities. Um, we have all kinds of things happening at the chamber. We're gonna haunt the little forest behind there. Um, we're doing a trick-or-treat on Pioneer Avenue. So for ability to uh, bring families out, get connected to the businesses that are there. Uh, last year was our first year doing that. We had a huge turnout come out to that. And I remember talking to a number of businesses and I'm kind of waiting to talk to them. people going, I've never been in here. What a great little store. And so um, that we're gonna do a summer solstice festival because another thing people ask, hey, we don't do anything for that. So we, we tested a few things last year and found some good response to that. So we're, we're always looking to find ways we can try to do community events that can uh, bring the community out and also find some economic activities with that as, along the way. My, my brief experience, I first lived in Homer in the mid-80s, and I left for 30 years before I came back. And I was afraid to come back because I thought, what if Homer's changed? And um, if a Safeway wasn't here, Proctor's was still there. So I had this <laughs> time capsule in my head of what Homer was. And I was thrilled to find that Homer was essentially the same. So I wasn't disappointed. But I think about how strong the culture is here and this connections and how do we bring our culture forward and the, the values that have uh, grown within this community. And so that having more commonality of culture, I think, will really help us with change because we'll approach it from a more common perspective. So how do we do that? I'd love to hear any re reaction to that. Thank you. Scott, jump to any. Teresa, you go for it. There are a few members in the audience that are part of the Economic Development Commission and I know um, just from conversations with them, they were working on their mission statement. And you know, the it comes down to a vision, right? Like, so yes, it's the, the culture is what's around you during the day, but the, the culture is based on what is our shared vision for where we're living. And this is not a sales pitch, but anyway, go <laughs> I'll take Julie's. Like, 
the city right now is going to be working on a new um, comprehensive plan. And so in those meetings, people are going to be coming together and looking at um, options and considerations for the city comp plan. But in those kind of moments, I think that's where things like culture will come up because our, the, con the contributions to the city for those types of things um, will help maintain our culture and um, create a shared vision. The challenge is that the city limits are only right here and the service area is all of this and we, we're all interacting and we're all sharing spaces and everything. So yeah, I agree with you. I agree that that's a, that's a challenge and it's great to be aware of it. I want to speak to that briefly um, just in terms of how also, and this is something that I think about a lot because I, I do love the culture of Homer or most things about it. Like every community has has warts and flaws. Um, but the reason that I'm still here and the reason that I've kept coming back and that I've worked really hard to move a family here and, and make a, a life here is because of the culture of the community and because of the place. And I think that those two speak to each other and inform each other. And also, I think that as a community, um, long before this and especially now with more people coming in, we need to do a better job of welcoming diverse identities and welcoming new perspectives in and how to hold both those things at once that we need to be open-minded and welcoming and appreciate diversity and all the greatness that that brings us and also find those core values that have made Homer a great place to live and hold those two things at the same time is something that's hard and it's hard to say out loud in a group, um, but it's something that I'm working on more thinking about and having those two things exist at the same time. Thank you. I, I uh, and I'm not sure how to state this. Um, by the way, I just learned uh, I'm, I'm part of the silver tsunami. <laughs> so that I learned something tonight that was really interesting. <laughs> but, but I also have heard an awful lot of um, at the risk of looking bad here, negative statistics tonight. And, and what I mean by that is not that they're inherently negative, but population. Uh, there's not enough teachers. There's not enough hospital doc doctors. Uh, we're losing youth. They're going south. I've heard a lot about what we're losing in different ways. What are we going to do in the planning that's coming up to attract? And is that in part and parcel going to be a focus of the development plan. So Brad was kind enough to talk about housing and people's concerns about density, and that's one of the problems that we're sort of having as a community. We pretty much acknowledge there's a housing problem. It's you know it's hard to come by and it's expensive for the people, for some of the people that are looking for it. But do you want to have a duplex next door or a triplex or where can we build more housing so it's not just the $700,000 single-family homes that are currently being built in our community. That will not get us affordable housing ever. Um, those will never become cheap, right? Um, so what that density looks like and what part of our community it should be in is going to be part of the difficult conversations our town is going to have to have. We either can choose to allow more types of housing in more places or we can become a continue to become a more expensive place to live, and we will have bedroom communities around us providing the workforce. But that can be focused by the kind of government that you elect 
locally to handle those kind of decisions. And the other 48, excuse me, those 48 down there, um, they're called zoning. We have zoning. But, but I'm talking about enforced zoning that focuses development. So So there's two things there. In some places, they would require you to build more densely. They would say, you're an urban residential. You don't get to have one house on an acre. You need to build 40 units, you know, a bigger building than we're going to see here. Um, or conversely, you know, we you know, recently kind of undid about a decade worth of our housing things here by repealing some of our regulations. So it's a difficult conversation. Um, this is why we hire consultants to have help us <laughs> have these difficult conversations um, and to find some solutions um, and, and solutions from other places. If we had the answers ourselves, we wouldn't have this problem, right? Um, so the comprehensive plan is uh, you know, at least a year-long process, and then followed with that will be a revision of the zoning code so that our rules actually match our vision. But can I address one other aspect of that question, though? Um, you mentioned, uh, we talked about uh, losing some of the youth, uh, people, uh, the younger generation is leaving out. And one of the things I really like seeing in, in Homer is some of the career opportunities that are developing, some of the trades that, you know, p kids, young kids can get in, and the mentoring programs that we're starting to see from groups trying to early on connect with the kids, show them the opportunities. So before they do the natural, they graduate, go to college and leave, you know, try to connect them with opportunities that might you know, keep them here earlier and connect them to jobs and uh, start some families. So they're starting off their life in a, without a lot of debt with some good paying jobs. We're filling the workforce needs that are here. We have people that are comfortable living here. This isn't an area that appeals to everybody, but if you have someone who's grown up and wants to stay here but never had an opportunity, so making those connections, I think, are really important. Uh, the chamber, we've had some number of discussions about you know, those mentoring programs, the junior chamber of commerce, the type of things that we could make some connections. Uh, we have a great resource, a small business advisor out of the chamber that is a free service, part of the SBA program. So if anybody would like to learn how to start a business, if we can kind of get them connection on what it takes to, to how to learn how to start it, how to start it correctly, so you are well capitalized, you you know what to get into, you're doing your, your paperwork correctly, um, so we can build a stronger success early on with young kids. So um, I really would love to see more of an effort to try to keep younger people in our community uh, connected to those jobs. It's really more of a comment um, from earlier, um, and to address your question, um, some of the outflow leaving Alaska is due to teachers and other professions that aren't getting the, the things that are expected and services and we've lost a lot in our university system and I think without a broader revenue whenever more people move into the state that doesn't help the state in the services because we don't pay for state services and therefore it's great to talk about bringing in more businesses and all that but that doesn't help the quality of life at that basic social services level and when our university goes downhill and schools go downhill and all those other services that we want for a quality of life are stretched thinner and thinner, what we need to be talking about is a broader income base. And we keep avoiding that mm -hmm. and relying on a non-renewable 
resource that is declining. And so we need to face that. That's kind of the core for me is w watching this state degrade and that outflow. Thank you so much.